Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Dr. John, and I am thrilled to announce that Jory and I are opening up our retreat in beautiful Costa Rica from September 28th of 2024 to October 5th. Everyone wants fulfilling relationships. The hard part is love is not enough. So many factors can get in the way preventing ongoing connection, intimacy, and aligned growth. All healthy relationships start within. But when we have unresolved stuff, it can easily interfere with those we are seeking to be closest with. Whether you're in a long-term committed partnership or are single and are looking for love, this retreat will guide you in the heroic journey of healing yourself so that you can be open and available to cultivate the fulfilling relationships you desire and deserve. To find out more, visit joryrose.com slash retreats. That's J-O-R-E-E-R-O-S-E dot com slash retreats. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. John back with yet another episode of the Evolved Caveman podcast. And today is a big one. Today, we're going to be talking about women's experiences on online dating apps. And we have two experts here to hold my hand through this. One is Irene Manta and one is Michelle Lang. And if you would, please introduce yourself for the listeners. Thank you so much, John. So my name is Irene Manta. I'm a law professor at the Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University, where I'm also the founding director of the Center for Intellectual Property Law. Aside from that, I run with Michelle Lang, the uh, podcast Strangers on the Internet, where we talk about all things online dating, including how to do it, how to stay safe. And we have a lot of awesome guests um, for our listeners as well. I also do some uh, dating coaching and have done some consulting for the dating app industry. Fantastic. Thank you. And Michelle? I'm Michelle Lang. I am a licensed clinical psychologist, and I am a senior lecturer at Christopher Newport University in Virginia, as well as a therapist in private practice. And I enjoy doing the Strangers on the Internet podcast with Irina, as well as being a guest here today with you, Dr. John. Well, thank you both for for being here. I really appreciate it. And just call me John. You can leave that doctor shit at the front door. Um, So yeah, because I'd just rather call you Michelle and Irina. That's just Anyway, I was only saying it because I'm going to insist that you call me doctor at all times. <laughs> oh, okay. Really? Would you like it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Dr. Michelle. I, no, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I just, I always wanted to kick out that pedestal with my clients. And I, I, I wanted to get the PhD because I wanted to kind of climb to the top of that ap- academic pyramid, I guess. And then I realized once I got there that it intimidated a lot of people and I didn't want that. So now I just go by John because no one can say my last name. Anyway, um, so let's get into what's it like being on dating apps for women. Now, both of you have been on dating apps in the past several years, correct? 10 years, maybe? I'm not quite sure. Yes, I would say in the last 10 years, we both have, for personal reasons, both of us are in relationships. Irina's married now, um, but both of us did meet our partners, our current partners through the dating apps. And so it can happen. Yeah, it can happen. We <laughs> actually have successful long-term relationships, marriages even. But yeah, we try to stay abreast with what's going on on the apps these days because of the podcast. And so what were some of your experiences and then what were some of the other people's experiences that you've spoken with on the podcast? Well, uh, there was, for one, a lot of lying about anything and everything. Uh, A lot of men lying about age. That's one that I saw pop up a lot. Um, Also about relationship status, about their jobs, about any number of things. And then also uh, sometimes dates could be downright dangerous. Like even if you followed the all the, the right guidelines, you stayed in public for the first date or dates and all of these things, like men could still get incredibly aggressive. Now, I do think that I and, and Michelle also did put in a number of safety measures that 
did help and that made things less dangerous for us uh, than they could have been. Um, and so there are definitely things that can be helpful, like making sure a friend always knows where you are and, and texting them the address of the guy and all of that sort of stuff. But you know, it's it's kind of disconcerting that every time you go out with someone, you're kind of taking your life in your hands. And then the other thing that a lot of men would lie about would be their intentions. So some stereotypes are uh, there for a reason. And this particular one that a lot of men on dating apps don't actually want the relationship, but fake wanting a relationship, right? It's, it's one that's come about for a reason. Um, and so that's, that's very, very problematic. And there is also just a lot of ghosting and people wasting each other's time and being extremely unreliable. So it did not feel like a very efficient process in some ways. One of the things I was, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Michelle. I was just going to say, I would actually really agree with pretty much everything Irina said. I generally have had a positive experience myself on the apps, but the lying is prevalent and casual. And so I've definitely gone on some dates where like, for example, where somebody did admit to me on the first date, oh, I lied about my age and just said it so casually. And I've had others where I figured that out later on. Lying about age is definitely very common, um, but they just act so casual about it. Like, it's not a big deal. But as Irina mentioned, for women in particular, we have to really be aware of our safety when when dating, I mean, as in elsewhere in the world. And so a lie is not something that most of us are going to take casually because it does make us wonder if you would lie so easily about this, what else would you lie about? And if we don't know you, we have no basis for knowing, oh, you're really a good guy and you only lied about this. The guy I talked to had what I consider to be a reasonably good reason for, for lying, the one who admitted to it on the first date, um, which was, he had had kids later in life and he had said most women in his own age range, their kids were grown. They weren't interested in dating somebody with young kids, whereas I was in the age range. My my child was in the age range of his children. And so he did lie about his age uh, because he felt like his lifestyle more fit with people of my age. And I, I found that to be an acceptable enough reason as far as reasons go. But there are, there are some that are far less acceptable. And, and generally, I think if you can't count on a woman being able to give you a second chance once they figured out everything they know about you has been founded on a lie. So I would say I would say that's the, that's true. The lying about that, as well as what Irina said about lying about what they want. I did catch a man in a lie about that once, too, just in conversation. And he had said, oh, you know what? It wasn't even about what he wanted. It was about his religious affiliation. And he said, oh, I just put, I'm, I'm agnostic. And I said something like, oh, I know you're Christian because it had said that on your dating profile. And I forget what we were talking about, but he was like, oh, I'm not actually Christian. I just said that because a lot of women want to know that you're a religious guy. And so I wanted to put that. He's like kind of the same thing with how you put that you're interested in serious relationships or dating, you just kind of check everything. And I was like, oh, like I was taking you at face value and thought that you were just telling the truth about those things. And so I have since learned lots of men do kind of check all the boxes to hope if it's long-term relationships, something casual, dating, friendship, they'll even check when that's not at all what they want. Um, and so we are catching on to that. I think a lot of women are wise to that at that point. But Aside from those things, I've had a largely positive experience. I think, as Irina said, it comes down to uh, learning how to know really what you want and how to pay attention to signs of compatibility and red flags and treat each as such. Yeah, I, thank you for that. I, I was reading, well, I, I think it's always fascinating how we try and start out a relationship off of these online dating apps with one or two lies and think that that's going to work in our favor. I never really quite got that. Like you want a honest, authentic, transparent relationship, but we're going to start out with a couple lies. And and absolutely, you're right, Michelle. If you start out with a lie, it it creates doubt. What else are you lying about? And and so yeah, it's it's fascinating to me because I I've seen like height, weight, well, not not weight, I guess, but age, um, occupation. Religious preference is kind of an interesting one. Like I'm going to pose as something I'm not 
And I, I don't know. I think One some of, of that maybe even maybe regional where I live, it's a very, I would say if there's a religion, religious preference dominating here, it would be Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so I think he was gotcha. trying to cast the broadest net in our area with that. So, well, and, and let me just ahead, jump Maria. in and say, John, you know, I don't want to be absolutist. Like sometimes it does work, but it also depends what we mean by working. So sometimes people will stay together, even though there was a lie. But, you know, there's always going to be, if we're measuring it by longevity, right, we're looking at the relationship last 10 years, 15 years, we would say it worked. But was there always something in the back of one's mind, of the mind of the other person, the one that was lied to about, I still just really feel uncomfortable with that. But, you know, I really like what Michelle said when she used the word casual. And that really can't be overemphasized enough. I I went out with this guy who was like, you know, decently nice guy in other ways, whatever, but he had lied about his age. So, and he was already at the top of what I consider to be my acceptable age range and, and really adding some more years uh, kind of took him out of that. And he had a fairly prestigious job where he had won some prizes actually for things related to um, discovering the truth. And so I, I said to him, I was like, well, aren't you worried? Like, what if your employer found out that you're you're on these dating apps and you're lying about your age? And and he literally just laughed because he's like, this is like my employer wouldn't care. It was just so understood that, quote unquote, that's what everybody does. And so adding another anecdote to this, I went out with someone who like really lied about his age. I mean, it was like a good decade. And I can say I could see it as soon as I as I met the guy. Um, and, you know, at the end, I mean, by the way, I, I did mess with him a little bit because I, I was a bit annoyed. And so I, I messed with him a bit as a result of what he had done. Um, but so and at the end of it, he was uh, he was like, but but you don't understand. First, he had this whole story about how he works in advertising and in advertising, there's so much like age discrimination. And that's why and boohoo. Right. And then and then he was like, he's like, but you don't understand. If I had told you my actual age, you wouldn't have gone out with me. And I said to him, yes, and that is my right. And it's, you know, there was something just so patronizing, I would say, and like a kind of borderline condescending about what he was saying. Like, do you think you know my preferences better than I know them? Do you think you get to tell me? And to me, all of these things are various erosions and breaches of the notion of consent. Uh, and so whether we want to talk about it legally or morally, that's the domain where, where to me all this belongs, right? And so for him to just really say, yeah, like I had to get through that filter. Now, look, there are some people who do the in-between where they lie about their age and then they put in their profile. I'm not actually such and such age. I'm actually this other age. That's a little less bad, but... For me personally, that was still always an automatic left swipe because I felt like, who the hell do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you get to waste my and other women's time with your nonsense about how you want to make it through our filter? You know what? There's a reason I have that filter. And it's because I didn't want to meet people your age, even if you think you're so awesome and so amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Is there a a degree of okayness with the size of the lie. I'm not sure how to put that better, but like, let's say, for example, you have someone that lied and said they were one year younger versus someone that said they're 10 years younger, or um, I don't know, said they were VP at this company and they're actually director versus male working in the mail room. I can tell you for me, um, you know, look, I think the best bet is always just tell the truth because there's nobody who is worth your time who's going to be put off by that. Um, And so I do think it's the best thing. I think you are playing with fire if you decide to lie and you might be missing out on an otherwise great match. For me, though, I would say there's a difference between somebody who lies by like a year of their age and something more egregious like five or certainly 10 years, because I think if, and I also think it depends on their reasoning for it. If it is, you know, if they're 41 and they're trying to get into the 
age rack of, of where women might think I'll date somebody up to 40. It's a yeah, nice 35 round to 40. number. And you know, you're thinking that's, that's an upper limit. I'm, I'm less offended by that. So long as they're honest about it, either right away in their profile or right away when they, when they first converse with you, I don't find it as offensive with about a year. I, I also don't find it as offensive with height. If it's by like an inch or two, in fact, lying about height is so prevalent that I just assume most men are lying about height. Um, I think it's something that I've always, I've always followed celebrity news and I know most celebrity men lie about height. And so I just, I don't know, personally kind of more accepting about that and assume they are giving themselves an extra inch or two. Um, so I swipe according to what my assumption is rather than maybe what they actually mm. put down, but really anything else, if they lie about their position at their company, that feels different. I guess the kinds of lies that I would personally maybe tolerate, or if I think they're based in insecurity rather than based in the intent to deceive for some kind of meaningful way. And so I guess that's probably where I would draw the line because I recognize that Lots of people, most people have some kind of insecurity and it's being on the dating apps is a vulnerable space to be. Dating is a vulnerable space to be. So still, I think telling the truth is is your best bet. All right. Well, thank there, you for that. Arena? There's, there's some things where, okay, there is a lack of precision on the app where it wouldn't necessarily be a lie. So let's say you're 5'10 and a half and you put yourself down as 5'11 rather than putting yourself down as 5'10. Or another one... Um, let's say you have filed for divorce, but you're in a state, this is true, for example, here in New York, where it just takes a while for the divorce to go through. To me, I think it's fine that you put yourself down as divorced rather than as separated, even though legally, technically, you are still at the separated stage. But, but that's not like someone who is like separated and hasn't filed for divorce, right? Like that would be the distinction for me. If you're separated and you haven't filed for divorce, and you're putting yourself down as divorced, that's shady. But if you filed and it just hasn't gone through, that's okay. And so, yeah, I mean, the one inch thing, you know, it's funny. Um, somebody that I uh, once dated briefly was uh, later on, we, we stayed friends and he was asking me about um, on the dating apps, whether he should put himself down as taller because women will assume that he's lying. So it's the thing that Michelle was talking about. And, and I actually said no. And then, you know, because to me, it just feels like this kind of like, race to the bottom, right? Where it's like, oh, we're all right. Well, I'm, or I should say to the top in the case of height for men, right? But, but so we're all like, just like, oh, well, well, this person lied. Well, and also we have to think about this. Like there is an element of competition. Like you are competing with other people on the apps, as, as Michelle and I recently discussed with one of our uh, podcast guests on strangers on the internet. Um, it, it's, you know, you are competing. And so it's like, Things like age and height, like those things really do end up mattering. But, you know, I, I'm still, I'm really, really, really not comfortable with it beyond, again, these sort of imprecisions where it's like, all right, you chose the more generous interpretation. That's okay. Uh, but, but beyond that, like it, it's, it just doesn't feel nice to it, me, especially, it, I mean, in a place <laughs> like New York, there's so many people, like, don't tell me you couldn't find people to date without without lying. like and, and so that to me is, is just not yeah. okay. And if you think on the return on investment of lie by an inch or by a year or something like that, but you're still lying, you know, how much is that inch or year really going to open up possibilities for you versus the fact of lying going to shut down possibilities for you? Well, it makes me think of attacking from the victim position, that dynamic where in this situation, it's getting defensive from the victim position, right? So I've talked to a lot of men who get, you know, rejection after rejection on the dating apps. And with each rejection, they get more bitter and more hurt and more angry. And I think it has a tendency to, uh, to shape or change our primal world belief about women in general. And then we start to overgeneralize. And then with that anger that is growing, we can justify and rationalize almost anything. Yeah. I and think that's, that's a problem. A, yeah, I think you're right. That's a great insight because it also makes me think about the story Irina was sharing. And I had an identical one where somebody lied about their age and then was just like, well, I lied because you wouldn't have dated me if I had told my real age range and acted, you know, as she said, she said like almost or borderline condescending. I mean, it is condescending and it is yeah. objectifying, you know, it's, it's treating a 
the potential person of interest, the woman in this case, as somebody who's not capable of having their own free will to make their own choices for themselves. And so to your point, I think it is important for anyone on the apps to remember that while it's easy to generalize, it's lazy to generalize and it's not accurate. And so there's in fact a wide swath of people on the apps. There are genuine people who really want a meaningful connection. There are genuine people who really want a meaningful hookup. Um, There are people who are shallow. There are people who are lazy, but there are people who are good people and would be worth your time to date. And they really shouldn't be lumped all into one group just because they're presented in one batch doesn't mean that they are all equal. And I think it's so important for men, women, whoever on the apps to remember that, that we're all lumped together, but we certainly are not equal. Yeah. Well, I, sorry, Irina, what did you want to say? Oh, I wanted to say something because I'm really glad you asked this question, John. Um, You know, there are a lot of men who get a lot of rejection on the apps. There are also a lot of women who get a lot of rejection mm-hmm. on the apps where either no one wants to go out with them or they only going to go out with them to have sex and frankly, often degrading and disrespectful sex. And when you hear men saying things like, nobody wants to go out with me, I always want to ask, and look, it is true of some men, all right? It is true. There are some men who are really struggling at that level, but it is not a lot of men. What some men are, what a greater number of men are saying is nobody wants to go out with me that meets criteria A, B, C, D. Now let's talk about, well, what are those criteria that the person has to look like a model um, or at least be some level of conventionally attractive that... I'm sorry, but that maybe you don't match with with all your, your different qualities because it doesn't just have to be physical attractiveness, right? But if we look at the whole package, like maybe you don't bring enough to the table for that. Are you? And, and so a lot of these men, I really want to sit them down and say, all right, are you willing to go out with somebody who's um, a little overweight? What about a lot overweight? Are you willing to go out with a woman who... Um, has two or three kids are you willing so so you suddenly isn't then all of a sudden it's a completely different oh well no well no no well i don't i shouldn't have to do that i shouldn't have i should be able to get whatever what hollywood promised me um and, and i really think that's where we go down this dangerous road um and, and it's it's very interesting we're, we're about to have a, a a guest um on our show that was on the on the show jewish matchmaking but there was a different guest when be clear that's not what i'm talking about there was a different guest on jewish matchmaking that a lot of women were really mad at okay it was this guy ori and he was talking about how he wants somebody who's blonde and this and that, which in Israel was not necessarily that common, right? So all these criteria. And then the matchmaker, but like from Israel, you know, it's not yes. common that you find that particular combination. Th- that's right. And so he had a lot of criteria and his mother had to love her. And it was a lot of stuff, right? And then when the matchmaker asks him, uh, you know, essentially, well, what about you? What do you bring to the relationship? Have you thought about that? And just the look in his eyes, right? Where it was like, huh, like (laughs) just so clear. It had all been from the perspective of the, you know, the hero's journey where he's the guy, the hero in the video game, the hero in the movie, and he's trying to win Princess Peach, right? And it doesn't matter that he looks like Mario, right? Because (laughs) Mario gets Princess Peach, Uh, but that's not the real world. Well, now, so, and to be fair, yeah. I have seen this go both ways. So I have talked with women who have a must-have list of like 25 items. Yeah. And I've had to work with them to pair that back and yeah. say, that's not realistic. And in, so what I recommend normally is, you know, come up with a list of must-haves and deal killers, maybe five must-haves and three deal, deal killers. And, and you got to cap your list so that it's realistic and possible. And I, and I think so. that realistic piece is missing in a lot of people. Yes, and I think that's but- one of the problems of the dating apps is that it does help. And, and I'll just go in this direction because I'm a man. I think it does lend itself to men objectifying women because you're seen as a commodity. You're seen primarily you're looking at a woman physically and you're just swiping, 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 swiping. And that's not the best way I would argue, like, I don't know how many men actually read a woman's profile. I don't know factually either, but anecdotally, I can tell you 
Lots don't. Uh huh. I would think the yeah, vast they, majority don't. They often and, and do I, later. They often do sure. later on in but the, I, I the think conversation. One of the biggest yeah. problems when I talk to men about dating is you got to, you have to downplay the importance of physical attraction, of the beauty of the face, the, the fitness of the body. Like you're not going to go out with someone that you're not physically attracted to, but you don't necessarily, I don't even know how to put this without sounding objectifying. Um, you don't need to go out with someone that looks like a model. In fact, you're probably better off not doing that. You're probably better off going with, out with someone that's slightly less, but less good looking than a model and someone that's emotionally more balanced, has high integrity, is a good communicator, has a growth mindset about relationship and so on. No, this is a hundred percent true. Um, but you know, unfortunately, we know society judges people a certain way. And I, I find those studies especially very sad where you have men who are attracted to, let's say, women that are a little bit heavier, but are still not willing to go out with them because of how they're going to be judged by society. Now, what one way in which I've definitely seen it play out, what you're saying about women being unrealistic or whatnot is uh, sometimes income expectations. So women wanting men who make more and sometimes significantly more money than they themselves make. All that being said, though, I, I am going to say something that's, you know, a bit controversial because that's why we're here, right? Which is if I look around like at some of the women that Michelle and I are friends with. So who are these women? They're a lot of highly intelligent, many of them academics. Um, many of them will be like the profile will be their academics that are divorced. They have usually one or two kids um, and established careers and, and, and all of that good stuff. I will say that if these women make a list that is a realistic, what you're saying, five must-haves and, and three must-not, and where they're essentially, let's say, looking for someone on paper who matches them. So let's say we're talking similar income, similar stability, similar looks, not nothing that's totally out of whack. Most of those women are going to struggle finding their equal. Most of those women are going to struggle finding their equal because the qualities that they bring to the table often are not valued uh, or not valued at the level that some other things are. So, and, and that sometimes, and we've chatted about this outside the show, sometimes their intelligence is seen as a minus rather than as a plus, right? And this, this I think, is, is the, the toughest and, and sort of one of the most unfair feeling things. And it's like, what do we tell those women? What do we tell those women about what they should do? Where should they, should they settle? What should they give up? Right. Well, and, and one of the things that we see in the younger generation in the 20 somethings is we're seeing a declining marriage rate. And the biggest reason that I've heard for that is the lack of marriage quality men that, you know, we got a lot of young men, they're smoking weed, sitting in their parents' house bedroom, and they just don't have a mission, a goal, a purpose, and they're not working towards anything. And then we've got a lot of young women who have gone to college, maybe have a you know a graduate degree and are, let's say, kicking ass in the corporate world or some other job. And they have a hard time finding young men to match them. And that's a huge problem. It's tough too, because I can understand there's there's Definitely. And statistically, it's backed up that disconnect. There are more highly educated women. And, um, and so as you are each speaking to, if women are looking to match on some of these variables, they're going to have a harder time. But I think there's another piece to that as well, which I think is helpful for a male audience to understand. And now this is at least my perspective. I don't know that I'm speaking for all women here, but I can tell you, uh, you know, I'm not somebody who for financial reasons, thinks that it's important that the person who I am with makes a similar income to me or more. It's not that I would reject somebody because they don't make a certain amount of money on the face of it, but I might reject them because, because of their income for a different reason, which is, in my experience, men who make less money than me can be insecure about making less money than me. And that becomes an issue. Or for practical matters, like if I want to go on a trip and I have the money to pay for myself to go on that trip. But if they don't have the money to pay it to go on a trip, but that's what I want to do with the person I'm dating. So sometimes there are practical reasons like that. Whereas 
you know, you hear, oh, well, she's a gold digger. She's looking for somebody who makes a certain income. And it's not necessarily that. Sometimes it is. I don't like being talked down to or somebody treating me, bringing out their own insecurities because they're not making the kind of money I am. And in fact, I had a failed relationship. It was, I mean, a failed marriage, um, my first marriage because of that very issue, uh, because he felt, and it wasn't just the income situation. It was also the circles that we ran in because of our professions. I I love dating a blue collar guy. I come from a largely blue collar family and I'm comfortable in that world, but there are some unique challenges when you are in a more white collar career and wanting to date in the blue collar world that people don't always appreciate. So for him, he felt intimidated that all my friends, you know, had a doctorate and yeah. we would talk about academic kind of things. Not that we did that all the time, but you know, we did some because it was the nature of our work. And so we were just talking about work, but he ended up meeting somebody else who where in that context, he was, you know, the smart one and he was the one who made more money and, and he felt more masculine as a result of that. And so, you know, a lot of women have been burned in those kind of situations. So it's not always that they are gold diggers. And I want to I want to make that point. Also, I don't know if I really would be willing to share, but I remember you had talked before. I've heard you say there's it's breaking it down to maybe overly simplistically, but I thought it was a good rule of thumb. You said there's kind of three criteria where you can have two of the three and you have to pick one that you're going to bend on when it comes to some of these key things that everyone really wants on their list. But maybe it's realistic to not try to have them all. Am I quoting that right? Yeah, I think uh, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, it was either three or four. And, and I think I was talking about looks, kindness, income, uh, and maybe yeah. age was another one. So although that that might be, that's also somewhat related, I guess, to, to the looks point. And it, it's really tough. And I also do want to add that I think what is happening economically, not just to the United States, but to a lot of countries, is putting a lot more pressure on this point. Because, you know, it used to be, right, the, that a typical middle class person or family could afford to buy a house, yada, yada. Like we've all heard on the news what is happening with that. And, you know, you look at like what's happening to rents, you look at what's happening to mortgages, you look at what's happening to food prices and all of that. And I do think there's more pressure than ever on looking at, all right, like what, you know, how much money is this other person making? Like, are are they, in fact, am I going to have to help them out financially just because so many people are, are struggling today? And another thing I want to say, Michelle, about what you were um, just talking about, I mean, let's be clear. If you don't have as high-powered a career as a man, as the woman, you might be expected to take care of certain things that you would not be uh, taking care of if you are the one with a more high-powered career. So let's say the woman is traveling on business. Are you going to be able to manage the household and manage the kids and all of that sort of stuff, right? Um, are you going to understand that she is maybe not going to cook very frequently because she's too busy for that? And so that's going to mean either getting takeout or you yourself have to cook. Um, so it, it's, it's just a lot of things like that. And I think a lot of guys like either really or sort of societally have come to not enjoy these things and, and maybe not know how to do some of these things. And, and so it's, it's this kind of like, you know, they want to have their cake and eat it too, right? Like sometimes they will nominally say that they want the woman with the high powered career and maybe they enjoy the additional income that that comes with, but they don't enjoy caretaking tasks and in fact, resent them. And here I do want to cite to those studies that talk about how um, how oftentimes women who make more money still end up doing more in the household. And that sometimes when men, and often when men lose their jobs, women kind of have to make up for it by doing more rather than less in the household so the guy doesn't feel emasculated. And I think that's where a lot of women these days are pretty angry and angry to the point of maybe preferring not to be in a relationship at all, where they're saying, wait a second, I'm supposed to like make more money or make money in the first place. And you're going to complain about the caretaking and maybe not do it. No, thank you. Yeah. You get you, the women get the uh, majority of that invisible labor, but I, I can't say that I've talked to a lot of men in the past 10 years and, and I'm in California, so it might be a little bit different, but I've talked to a lot of men in the past 10 years who are assuming more and more 
a, a per percentage of that invisible labor, which I really encourage. Um, so let me let me change subjects a little bit here because I, when we talked offline before, I told you about a, a speaker that I saw who was speaking to a group of about 500 people. It was roughly half and half or half men, half women. And he asked the men in the audience, you know, how many of you feared for your life in the last 30 days? And maybe, you know, 20% of the hands went up, 15%. And they said, how many of you feared for your life in the last week? And maybe 3% went up. And he said, how many of you feared for your life in the last 24 hours? And no hands went up. And he said, okay, same questions for the women. How many of you feared for your life in the last 30 days? Probably 80% of the hands went up. How many of you feared for your life in the last week? Probably 60%. How many in the last 24 hours? And it was like 15, 20%. And it was a really great visceral example. Like you could feel it of, oh shit, like we live in the same world, yet it's vastly different realities. And so let's talk a little bit about the presence of the threat of sexual violence for women when dating in person off of these apps, and then some of the stats around sexual assault from dating via the apps. Yeah, so I can, I can start with that. So there's been a study by Columbia Journalism Investigations that suggests that one third of women who have used dating apps have experienced sexual assault as a result of the dating apps. Now, what um, do, and define sexual assault, because that's a pretty broad term. You know, I would have to look up the exact definition that they use, but it was some some form of sexual violence. Um, okay. So it may not, not just unwanted the, sexual touch. Because that can fall again, in that I don't definition wanna, too. I don't want to speak for them as to how broadly okay. they define it, but it was not, quote unquote, not just rape. Okay? okay. So it was like, it was beyond that. Um, and, uh, but, and, and I don't know where their cutoff was as to the, the bottom wall. Okay. I'm happy to because I really think those later. numbers are much higher because I don't think most women or many women are going to report that That's it's right. happened. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And. And look, I mean, I have seen, I have personally seen outrageous behavior by men from dating apps. Um, I know people who have been raped. Um, I know women who have been raped by men that they met on dating apps. And th this is also something where, honestly, it's fairly easy for men to be a good guy here. Uh, really, I mean, uh, if, if, for example, if they see that a woman takes a safety measure, they should just react to that positively or neutrally. So, Supportive. for example, I, yeah. I, went on a, I went on a date with someone and before I got in, this was not a first date, but before I got in a car with him because he was driving me back from the place where we had had dinner, um, I wrote down his license plate number and I sent it to my friend and I told him that I had done that as an additional safety measure. And he got really angry. He got shockingly angry and he called me paranoid and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Well, and that's a great end, red flag, though. Yeah. Wonderful red flag, as is the fact that he told me at the end of that date, which need I say it was our final date. He told me that he was now going to go home and watch violent porn. Now, this is somebody who, by the way, works with children. So this is, you know, this wow. is the, you know, wonderful world of online dating. Right. And so I was very glad that I had done that. I, I did the same thing. If I were to go to somebody's apartment, I would, you know, tell them I sent your address, including whatever apartment number, et cetera, to my friend. Um, sometimes it would be like to my friend who is a criminal law professor. I just, yeah. If I wanted to ask for a good measure or whatever. Um, and so I, I do think, look, I think in a sense, even though I have had negative and scary experiences from dating apps, in a sense, I have also been fortunate because I think the fact that I am a law professor does uh, worry some guys at least a little bit, right? So that they're not, you know, so that they might not want to go too far. I also honestly think the fact that I am tall has helped me uh, in some situations, right? I think women who are more petite, maybe guys feel like they can get away with more. Although certainly, certainly I have heard of women of every size and age and, uh, you know, height and weight uh, get attacked. But Really, I mean, men can be supportive and they can be proactive and they can, I mean, certainly don't ask a woman to meet you in private for a first date. Yeah. Well, even I, if, even I, if you guys want to hook up afterwards, like meet in public first. Uh, so that's that's just common courtesy. Yeah. And and thank you for sharing that. And I, I think um, what I was interviewing, I was talking with a narcissism expert 
And she was saying, you know, one of the best ways to identify narcissists on online dating apps is maybe the second or third date, cancel the date shortly before the date and see how they respond. And if they respond with rage or anger, it's not a, it's not for certain, but it's a really good indicator of a red flag. And I think that's what we're looking for in this online dating is how many, you know, an accumulation of red flags, big and little, sorry, Michelle. It's tough. I was just thinking, gosh, because that is a good point. Um, But also, you know, I, I think it's a fine line. You certainly don't want to get into the idea of game playing. And that's something that a lot of men believe a lot of women do anyway. But I would say to the male listeners, especially really just to underscore the points we've been making these last couple of minutes about it is, it is just statistically less safe out there for women. I looked up some statistics on this too. So from um, rain, which is the rape abuse and incest national network, looking at the statistics that they provide, it's one out of every six American women has been the victim of an attempted or completed rape. And that's rape, not just any variation of sexual assault. So one in six, then when we look at women ages 18 to 24, They, especially if they are college students, are three times more likely than women in general to experience sexual assault. Interestingly, though, females of the same age who are not enrolled in college are four times more likely, according to the RAIN statistics. So also in certain age ranges, there is a statistically greater risk. But the thing is, even women who are older than that age range have been through that age range and have seen the experiences of their friends around them, you know, getting assaulted or perhaps them themselves. And they're, they're not going to forget those experiences. So the cautionary tales we hear and, and the advice that people like Irina and I are out there giving to women um, to say, you know, do the things that err on the side of caution, like with Irina, not only taking a picture and sending it to your friend, but letting the person know you're doing that. I mean, what good does it really do if you take a picture and send it to your friend, but then don't tell the guy that you're doing that and he does end up assaulting you. I think it's better to let him know that he's on notice. And then to your narcissism expert's point, you know, I had a client who just yesterday was telling me this about how she had gone on a really nice first date with somebody and they had had a great time and they walked back to where he was parked in the city afterwards and his car had been towed and it was like partially both of their faults because of where they had picked to park. And, um, and so it wasn't clearly one person's fault or the other, but it was an unintended bad event that that she had the opportunity to see how he responded to. And I was so glad for her. He responded positively. He wasn't blaming her. He wasn't overly upset. They were just like, okay, well, this happened. I guess we got to figure out how to get the car back. And it ended up being a positive experience. But yeah, I think, I mean, as far as getting one's car towed can be, um, but as far as for the date, it was because it showed the type of person he was. And so if I can appreciate the person who you spoke with advice about look for an opportunity to see how they respond to an adverse circumstance. Mm -hmm. But certainly if that opportunity comes up organically too, pay attention because it is so telling what kind of person you are dealing with when they respond, when things don't go smoothly or as they want. And especially if it's something that might be their date's fault um, to see, can they be diplomatic and kind about it? When Irina was talking earlier about, I thought it was such good advice she's given about if something has to give, she thinks broadly speaking, it's kindness, income, looks, or age. And I always advise people don't pick kindness as the thing that has to give. That one should be a requirement. Non-negotiable. Absolutely. And it's funny. I I remember having a friend who was, you know, about uh, 40, just gotten divorced. And the bar she set was so low men that she was dating, it was astounding to me. She was looking for men who had their own cell phone, had a car and a job. And I was like, wow. Yeah. So we're not looking for, you know, six pack abs, six figure income, (laughs) six feet tall. We're looking for phone, job, car. Some are. And, you know, and I think I do think the guys encounter some women on that who are looking for the six pack abs and the six, four or taller and stuff like that. And so that's why, again, I caution them. Not all women don't lump us all together. We really aren't. Most of us aren't people who are 
reasonable if you know maybe if they're looking for just a hookup purely looks based sure they're going to go for more external characteristics that they find attractive but i think it comes down to what are they looking for what are you looking for for certainly for people who are looking for a meaningful kind of dating experience yeah um we want to aim somewhere between must have six pack and must have a job you know somewhere yeah. in the middle of, the, of that would be helpful. You know, I also just wanted to briefly speak, it's actually kind of shocking to me, to your point about um, how many women in the last 24 hours have feared for their life. Now me, in the last 12 hours, I have feared for my life. And I'm here to tell you, I have only left my house in the last 12 hours to take my daughter to school. And the wow. thing that has happened, and it wasn't in a dating context, but it was actually about 5 a.m. this morning, I heard this, I was awakened hearing this really loud noise outside. And I looked out the window and I could see it was like, I don't know, it was far enough down the road that I couldn't totally tell what was going on. I don't live in a city. I live in the suburbs. It's unusual that we would have something loud going on at 5 a.m. And it may have been some kind of construction or it may have been somebody just being a loud, obnoxious butthead. I don't know. Part of me wanted to go out and find out, but the safety respecting part of me was like, I'm not doing that. So I stayed in my house, couldn't get back to sleep until it ended, you know, so it woke me up, but I was terrified to go out and check. And also last week I was pulling into my driveway. And at that time, a man was walking right by my house with his dog on a leash and his dog was like pooping on the street, um, across the street from my house. And I just watched this man. He saw me pull into my driveway. I was still there and he just left it and just kept walking. And part of me really wanted to be like, do you need a poop bag? I have yeah. them. Would you like one? But I was like, I can't do that because he knows where I live. And if he's a violent man, I can't have him coming back here and threatening or harassing me. And so it truly happens not only in a dating context or a sexual violence context, but the fear of violence or harassment all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, just think of walking to your car in a parking garage at night. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 100%. And look, I, you know, over the last 24 hours, I had a conversation with my teenage daughter about what do you do if somebody's following you in the street, right? And it's so sad that this is stuff we have to talk about. And it doesn't matter where you live. Look, I grew up in Europe, uh, much more sort of small town life. There was cat calling there all the time. I mean, you could be, you know, you could be like a tween girl and you would already be dealing with street harassment constantly, constantly. And so it, it's it's relentless. It's relentless. And it's sad to see how little has changed in the last, let's say, 30 years, right, since, since I started my teenage well, years. Let me, let me speak to this for uh, a second respect. because, uh, sorry to interrupt. So my youngest is 17 beautiful girl, smart, fit. And one of the things that I've always thought about as she was a, a little girl was I wanted to train her to have the ability to say no. And the ability to say no to me or other adults if it didn't make sense to her. And eventually the ability to say no with force, whether that was physical or verbal or with volume. Because I, I think we expect our daughters to be polite, cooperative, compliant, docile. And then we expect them to go out at whatever, pick an age 16 and go on a date and have this suddenly newfound ability to tell a young man, go fuck yourself in the back of a car when he's trying to assault her. Okay. And so for my daughter, she's taken self-defense classes. She has no problem speaking up. She has no fear of embarrassment. She knows to speak up loudly and forcefully. She knows that she has permission to get physical. And I even used to joke around with her. I would say like, look, practice on your older brothers. They're just like crash test dummies. <laughs> like just, you know, walk by and punch them in the face, punch them in the gut, whatever you need to do to practice that. She never did. She's way too nice for that. But I think it's really important to give our daughters permission and practice at saying no before they actually start going out on dates. Well, I think so too. Yeah, go ahead, Irina. Yeah, I was just, I was actually just going to reiterate something you said before, Michelle. I, I agree with everything you said, John. Now, with the sort of understanding that women, unfortunately, also have to calibrate their response to, am I going, how much am I endangering myself? 
depending on how I say no to someone, is it better sometimes if I just don't respond to the street harasser at all, as opposed to telling him to go to hell? Like, and, and so all of these things, I mean, a lot of them come with experience. And, and even with all that, it, I know we all agree on this. It is never the victim's fault. It is never because she didn't say no the right way or loudly enough or, or any of that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, I do, you know, I want to come back to an earlier point too, though, and just so everybody understands that we're not just beating up on the men here. I mean, talking about the dating app behavior, there is definitely bad behavior by women also. Now it doesn't tend to be violent. It doesn't tend to be that sort of stuff. And, and so I am not at all putting it in the same category. I will say, however, that, you know what, it wouldn't hurt some women to be polite. It wouldn't hurt them to be consistent, to say thank you, right, when somebody did pay for a meal for you, uh, to um, text back in a timely manner, to not ghost people. So I actually think that, again, even though women are not to blame for the bad behavior of men, the more we can sort of create a cycle of virtue instead of a cycle of vice, where we all act as politely as possible, as much as possible, again, un unless somebody no longer deserves your politeness, and then, yeah, you should go someone who's scary or threatening or any of that stuff, for sure. Uh, but, but I do think, like, where, you know, it cannot become an excuse for bad behavior, that there are, you know, even if it's true that, I don't know, half or two-thirds of all men act badly in the dating pool that's not a reason to not you know still try to be nice to people within the extent of what's reasonable let, let me ask you this and, and i i know this is based on absolutely nothing but experience and and hearsay or anecdotal evidence but what it what percentage of men would you say do behave badly versus those that behave respectfully and are trying to put a good foot forward I mean, it's a spectrum, right? Because what does it mean to behave badly? I will say in my experience, the majority of men behave some level of badly. Okay, of the men that I've met on dating apps, and, and that doesn't mean they're all sexual assaulters or something right, like right. that, right? Uh, but but it does mean, I would say, that the majority did one of the following things, either did something scary or threatened to do something scary, violent, whatever, or um, reached a level of rudeness. I mean, it's not like New York City is, is known for its, its nice, fine politeness or whatnot, but really reached a level of rudeness of, you know, where you're sort of want to ask the person, like, were you raised by wolves? Like, yeah. would you not be embarrassed if your mother and father found out you're acting this way? Um, and, and, and just are willing to discard people left and right or to lie, like one of these things, right? Either, either the violence, the lying or general rudeness, I would say most men that I encountered on the apps um, fell into at least one of those categories. And I don't have reason to believe that I sort of like am worse at or was worse at picking men on the apps than the average yeah. person. Uh, there, there's no reason for me to think that. It's interesting because I think we, Irina and I both belong to some networks of women where they do talk about their experiences on the apps. And I would say that's probably the theme is there's more experiences of bad behavior than good behavior. You know, it's interesting in my experience, I have not had many experiences of bad behavior. I've never been sent unsolicited sexual pictures or anything like that. And I think if I think I am maybe just luckier, or maybe if I had to guess at what I'm doing differently than most women, that's intentional on my part. I really, um, I'm selective about who I would swipe on in the first place. And that comes down to what you were saying earlier, John, about I've been intentional about knowing what my must-haves and my deal breakers are. And I honor those. I And I follow a very similar system to what you use about three to like maybe four deal breakers. I think everything can't be a deal breaker, but I think you can have your three or four. And, Let me ask you this, Michelle, yeah. sorry to interrupt. What are some of your top must-haves? Because I think that's really critical. Yeah. Uh, for me, kindness is my number one must-have. Um, and beyond that, some that are top for me are intelligent. And that does not necessarily have to mean like academic intelligence, but can have an intelligent conversation, you know, interested in world issues, things like that. So, because that's what I'm interested in. So, it's things relating to compatibility. Um, but as far as personal characteristics, it's definitely kindness is the number one for me. Everything else is more 
things that matter to me personally that may not matter as much to everyone. But I would say kindness is kind of my universal one. And um, and then my deal breakers are also generally uh, more personal to me. Like, for example, I'm just not interested in dating a smoker. And so I that's just a no for me. If somebody smokes, I just I swipe no matter what else is true about them. I swipe. What is it? left on them um, or have. Yeah. And, um, but I would say once again, like any indication that they are not kind um, and, and you'll see it. It's shocking how many people are willing to let you know that right off the bat in their profiles um, that they have. They're like, here's the kind of woman that you need to be if you want to, for me to deign to have it, to give you attention. And I'm just like, swipe yeah. left. So, you know, stuff like that. But um, but yeah, I think it's really important to be intentional about who you're swiping on. And that helps some, um, for me, I just, I don't tolerate any lack of interest, to be honest with you. I remember there was a one guy who I was interested in and we had had a little bit of conversation, but then he lagged off for like a couple days and I was like, Hey, you seem like you've kind of dropped off. So I'm going to move on. It was really nice talking to you. And I unmatched. And whatever app this was, it was the kind where somebody could like pay to rematch. And in this case, they did. And he was like, I'm sorry I dropped off. Like, I am interested, but I just really wasn't happening. I was like, you know, I wasn't rude about it, but I was just like, if you were, you wouldn't have dropped off. Like, you know, take this information on for your next match. It's just, it's not going to be me. And I think a lot of women are willing to give second chances when they see the kind of behavior that they don't really feel like they would tolerate, but they, they do tolerate it. Um, and, and I don't. So I think that's, if I had to guess as to why I haven't had the bad experiences, I think it's because I'm very clear about what I'm looking for. And I really don't tolerate a lack of interest. Well, and I think that speaks to knowing your, your worth in the yeah. dating pool. And so Irina, can I ask you, and then we'll, we'll wrap up this, this first part of the episode, but what, what are some of your top must-haves? Well, it's it's really all of the same things that Michelle said, and I also um, had the experience where I, I became I'm going to say I became more and more ruthless about anything having to do with flaking. It's like, oh, you're trying to reschedule the first date. Nope, done, yep. done. Which, by the way, is also part of why I'm a little I'm just a little reluctant about the advice your narcissist expert gave because I, I I do think the expert is correct about you should set boundaries with um, yeah. a man and see how he responds. I personally would not feel comfortable fake canceling a date to, to do that because so many people have negative experiences. Men and women have so many negative experiences with people flaking on them for what are usually completely illegitimate reasons that yeah. you really you might lose like an actually nice person along the way. So, so that was just a quick parenthetical comment, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the same things, kindness and you know, what Michelle and I are doing also turns out to actually be empirically validated, right? Because if we look at John Gottman's work, we see that kindness is what makes relationships work. <laughs> so this is, you know, and then in a sense, it's not rocket science, right? Like being kind, being respectful, um, like, Ultimately, you yeah, think follow about the golden the rule, just like you're yeah. you were taught when you were five years yeah. old. Turns out it's still relevant throughout your life. Yeah. And pay attention. I mean, like Mich what Michelle was just saying, like not tolerating lack of interest. Well, what is John Gottman telling us about that? That when your partner right makes a bid for your attention, that if you actually respond to that bid positively, uh, that that's what's going to make the relationship work. So, so this, this all goes hand in hand with what the science tells. And you would think that some of the stuff that Michelle just said and that I just said, you would think that some of it would be common sense, but it is just astonishing how many people are not really getting it. And, and, and John, this is where I think, this is where, I, not to flatter you too much, but this is where I think your work is so important because you really are helping to, to teach people about taking this introspective look that many people have not really done because they weren't taught right it's not necessarily their fault but nobody taught them how to do that and okay. it's certainly true of a lot of men also true of a decent number of women right and you sit down you take stock and and you have to have this growth mindset you first have to you know most people never took a class in school on how to have a relationship yep <laughs> most people were never taught how to act appropriately if their parents didn't teach them and their peers maybe didn't teach them along the way, like 
they, they need to first sit down and realize, like, like those guys you were talking about who have success on dating apps, most of them, it's not because of how they look or because of what their job is or something like that. Most of them, it's because of the way they behave. And that can, the, the good news is that can be fixed. And I think all three of us are yeah. trying to do that. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree because I think that, you know, if you're having, a, if you're a man and having a hard time on dating apps, I would say the first thing you need to do is get your shit together. You need to figure out what your values are. You need to figure out what your purpose and direction is in life. You need to make yourself a better catch. And, you know, I've heard that there's nothing sexier to a woman than a man with a purpose. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch and just kind of go full circle on was, so my must-haves when I was dating were things like emotional intelligence, integrity, communication skills, and a growth mindset yep. around relationship. And, you know, I remember I was asked by a young Harvard graduate, she was saying, you know, I broke up with my boyfriend six months ago and I'm looking to get back into it. Do you have any advice for what to look for? And I said, yeah, I think that the number one thing I would look for if I were going out there right now is find someone that has a growth mindset around relationship skills. Because if you are willing to learn with your partner about how to be better in relationship, what can't you deal with? But there's so few men, I would argue, that are willing to do that work and haven't even done the work on themselves as an individual to even be able to step into the relationship, like that next level of evolution of being better in relationship. Gosh, yeah, I think you're exactly right there because I'm thinking about as a therapist, the number of times I have conversations with clients about how you have to learn to adapt to what the circumstance is. And in fact, with anxious clients, people who are anxious, such as myself, I'm an anxious person and I've had to, to work to combat it over time. But anxious people love to consider all the what ifs. They're constantly in their mind thinking about endless possibilities. But the work there on an individual level is to be like, what if? I just learned to have confidence in my own ability to handle whatever comes so that I don't have to mentally prepare for all the possibilities, especially when experience teaches you, you can spend all that time preparing. And then ultimately the thing that's going to happen is somehow going to be some possibility you didn't think of anyway, and you're just going to have to learn how to deal with it. So instead, investing in your own ability to be flexible and to be adaptive is such an important personal skill. And so I wonder, as we're talking about this, if some of why we see men having a harder time with this than women might also relate to men doing less therapy on the front end, doing less of that individual work that then makes it harder to then translate it to relationships as well. And, and I wonder if that's part of the intersection here, but I think your point is such a strong one that you have to be able to do that individually first, and then be able to translate that yeah. skill to relationships, to adapt, not only to on a large scale, but in the specific relationship, what is the specific challenge we're dealing with? Or this partner has a different challenge that they present to your way of doing things than your pre previous partner and understanding what worked for you before may not work now. Such a great point, John. Thank you. And I mean, to your point, I think that um, that's why I go after Manbox and try and teach about Manbox culture, because some of the big rules in Manbox are be self-reliant, don't ask for help, and I think we get cut off from two-thirds of the emotional spectrum. And the most prominent, our primary emotion or signature emotion for most men is anger, some degree anger. of anger. Yeah. And the whole anger dynamic is like, Michelle, if you and I are in an argument and I'm heated, in my mind, it's all your fault. And if you would just stop being such a fill in the blank, I wouldn't be so pissed off. Yep. And that dynamic completely cuts me off from the curiosity to look at, huh, what did I do to lead to this rupture? And what can I learn? How can I learn to be better? Can I share with you? This is a quote. One of my clients told me this past week. I had never heard it before and I love it. And I made a little infographic or just a graphic for it because I love it. But she had heard it in the coaching world. I'm not an athlete. So maybe it's something all athletes know. I don't know. But um, in the coaching world, she had heard, be curious, not furious. In moments where you have an interpersonal conflict try to err on the side of understanding why rather than making anger the primary emotion. I just love it. I love it because it rhymes and it's easy to remember, but it's also yeah. spot on. Yeah, it's well, awesome. I, I mean, do you want to wrap us yeah, up Yeah, I want to just add one more thing. Well, uh, I guess it's two. Um, so first, I think we have a real cultural problem with this um, motto of be yourself. 
be yourself and then like whatever. And, and then if people don't accept you the way you are, like you go girl or you go boy or whatever. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, no, I'm sorry, that's wrong. Some of the ways in which you, and again, maybe it wasn't your fault, right? But maybe the ways your family taught you, society taught you were really bad for you and really bad for your life and really bad for your future partners. And so you're going to have to change it. And the notion of the self, you can have self-esteem yet believe in growth and in change. Uh, And I think that's an important, like some people get a little confused there and feel like it's one or the other. The other thing I was going to say is this, you know, some men feel like they are being endlessly criticized by women for the ways they communicate or for the ways that they struggle. And yeah, you know what? Some of the time, like they they are, but like that doesn't really tell us anything. That doesn't tell us what what is the best way to communicate or not communicate. Now, you know, I'm I'm not endorsing like negativity or, or being like nasty to someone or anything like that. But these things, I think a lot of men should not assume that on average, men and women are going to come into the relationship with equal amounts of knowledge or of emotional experience. On average, because of the stuff Michelle was talking about, because of women having done more therapy, right, and all of these things. And I think, again, this is where ego gets in the way. Men are going to have to accept, hey, maybe I have more to learn than she does. Maybe, maybe, what if she's right? What if like, and and again, and here is where I think you have to be willing to look at the science. It doesn't matter who's a man and who's a woman and who came in with what. Just look at it. Look at the Gottman work. Look at the stonewalling work. Oh, turns out it doesn't. The sarcasm work, which I'm being a little sarcastic now, so it's ironic, but (laughs) but we're not arguing, so it's okay. Um, The sarcasm work, huh, turns out to be really destructive. And where I think like the problem comes in is people who are not willing to look at empirical evidence, who think that again, their self and their experience, their gut just tells them naturally what to do. And you know what? Oftentimes, because your gut has been affected by really bad cultural societal messages, sometimes you can't just trust your gut. And sometimes you do need to learn from the experts and look outside yourself and and see what works uh, more generally and then adopt those things. And Irene, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, Terry Real, who I think is one of the best couples counselors on the planet, has the same outlook that Women are inherently socialized. I don't know if inherently works out, but they're socialized from a very young age to be more emotionally aware, to be more communicative, and to be more relational. Men are not socialized in those directions. In fact, I would argue that many times we're mocked and humiliated for going in those directions. So women fundamentally are better in relationships than men. And so his assumption, and you know, we're taught as couples therapists, like, you're supposed to play it 50, 50. Like you don't give anyone, you know, like you have to be fair. And Terry reels like, no, fuck that. Like women generally know better and they're more aware about what's going on in the relationship. So I trust their perception of reality more when they come in. And, and I think that's really important to consider. And, you know, for the men that are listening, it's really a wake up call to, Start being curious about relationship skills. Start checking out Terry Real. Check out Esther Perel. Check out John Gottman. Because we have to get better at relationship if we want a happier life. Because that is one of the foundational pillars for a happy life. All right. So we got to wrap up this episode. Um, This has been great. Thank you so much, Michelle and Irina. So this ends part one of online dating for men and women. And we will be back shortly for part two. If you liked this episode, please be sure to rate, review, like, and share. If you didn't like it, you don't have to do a damn thing. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 